Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in. When you work with a service provider to either prototype or produce your part, they often have tips that can help you avoid over-engineering your part. Today, I'm with Eric Utley, 3D printing engineer at Protolabs, and we're going to discuss some tips and techniques to reduce this over-engineering issue in product design. So thank you for joining me today, Eric. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. So first of all, let's begin. Um, what are some of the most common over-engineering issues you see in a design? Yeah, honestly, the most common I see would be either like over-defining the drawing or having too tight of tolerances on the drawing. You know, this is something that is funny because I've heard it from my colleagues before. It's like when you go through engineering school or even just CAD design school, that they teach you to, to define everything on the drawing because otherwise you're leaving things for interpretation down the road and can lead to a bad part. But a lot of times it, it can, you know, once it's passed to a manufacturer and now it's in our hands to produce the part, for example, calling out like a surface roughness, someone says, I need this to be, perhaps the real requirement is I just want it to be a matte finish. You know, I want this aesthetically to be a matte finish. And on the drawing, they may say, I want this to be a 200 micro inch RA surface finish. Like to, uh, you know, that's a, a very clean way of communicating it. But me as a manufacturer, I have to kind of confirm now that that part is truly 200 micro inch RA. Whereas if the drawing said a matte finish, you don't really need to very succinctly define just how matte is matte, usually if it's really just an aesthetic finish. So I feel like that's, uh, that's something useful to do. And, you know, you can also just talk, talk with the manufacturer, send it to them and, and kind of talk in real terms, you know, what, what do you need and want out of the part? Um, and usually there's a lot of insights that happen in those little short meetings with the customer. And, uh, and we kind of now know more deeply what the need is on the part. Okay. One of the things that you, um, or that was mentioned earlier is conflicting dimensions. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, not so much conflicting, I'd say, but like overdefined or I'm trying to think of how, how to word it. It wouldn't be conflicting. I mean, typically, like I said, what I see on drawings would be like a tight tolerance or, or something calling out on what is ultimately a non-critical feature. And that can ultimately drive uh, secondary processes like secondary machining or inspections to, to validate that feature. And that's just not critical to, to the design or to the functionality of the part. So, you know, you really want to start with what's really driving the functionality of the part and the critical aesthetics of it. And, uh, and then, you know, leaving the loose tolerances on, on the non-critical features. That could save you some money too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and and like I said, I think uh, I think there is just a lot of value in, in talking to the manufacturer, even if the, the drawing is largely constrained, because a lot of times, you know, there just may be a cheaper solution or a faster solution beyond what the, draw, the drawing um, recommends. Are there issues with under-engineering in a design? Uh, there can be. Yeah, there can be a lot of that. I almost consider that like a language issue. So like a customer will come to us and say, I want this part to be black. Right. And my thought instantly goes, okay, do you want that matte black? Do you want that glossy black? Do you want that uh, soft touch black? And then so really it's just not constrained enough to drive at that. So, you know, for example, for the surface finish, really what you need to communicate is a color and a finish. 
and you have the combination of those two, now you and I and anyone else are on the same page as to what that part looks like um, for that. And, and that's why I, I like I mentioned before, I wanted to uh, move away from uh, a surface roughness call out unless it's a, a functional issue, right? If it's an aerospace part, for example, and it's critical to how the air flows over it, you know, in that case, uh, a surface roughness call out is, is warranted. But if it's really an aesthetic call out, you could just say like a matte finish, bead blasted finish, uh, something like that. You know, I've seen some drawings go in as, as deep as uh, defining what the uh, specific grit blast media is on a part, you know, and that may be overkill, you know, unless you're really, really concerned with parts matching on the shelf, one right next to another. But the, the difference would be extremely minor in the end result. Okay. Now, how about in regards to uh, 3D printing? Are there under engineering issues or aspects specific to 3D printing? Not particularly, only because in 3D printing, really all you, I mean, the, the core thing you need is the 3D CAD file. And the 3D CAD file defines the geometry. And then beyond that, you're, you're dialing into the material and the resolution primarily. And different service bureaus may define resolutions in different ways. So you know, what we say is high resolution may not be the same as what another company calls high resolution. So that is something I recommend on drawing, like part drawings for 3D printed parts, instead of defining it as high resolution or normal resolution to define the layer thickness, um, because the layer thickness, you know, speaks more directly to the resolution of the print. But even then, you know, I, I encourage people to have a little flexibility there, right? Like, so if your drawing says, 3,000 cents layers and someone offers 4,000 cents or two and a half thousand layers, you're still going to have uh, pretty close part quality, um, you know, if there's a slight difference there. Okay, so how about with um, the ability to take full advantage of 3D printing's capabilities? Are you seeing design issues there that either lead to over-engineering or even under-engineering? Yeah, that's... That, development has changed a lot. I'd say particularly in the last like five years or so, I've seen that change. And, and I think it's a function of uh, people leaving school now, having been exposed to 3D printing, even as early as like middle school and high school and up, th up in and through college now. And, um, and, and I see it on both ends of the spectrum. Some people are uh, trying to get everything they can out of 3D printing and then just make a fully functioning assembly print it all at one time and it have spinning gears and, and moving rods and, and whatnot. And that is possible, but you really have to be familiar with the technology and to design that very specifically within the limitations of even a specific 3D, 3D printing technology. It'd be hard to design something to be generally used in different 3D printing processes to do that. But on the other end, you know, we see some some newer uh, engineers now developing for 3D printing and, you know, they're able to effectively take something that was 15, 20, 30 parts in an assembly and then print it all as a single piece. And it, it does require a, a redesign. You can't just unify all those pieces and then, and then, and then go with it. You have to kind of take a step back and look at the assembly now as a, as a unique part and rethink the, the build direction and the implications it has on the print. To, to develop that. And parts that are really designed for it, they're very organic. 
and their design and they grow or build very organically, which is kind of the telltale of a well-designed 3D printed part. Would you say that some of this has to do, do with maybe uh, form over function and it sounds like the priority should be function first and change your design accordingly? Yeah, I see. And I see sometimes people using 3D printing just to just to say they're using it to a degree. And it, and to a degree, 3D printing is kind of a technology buzzword like uh, Internet of Things or, or crypto. You know, there's a degree of that that people want to use 3D printing just because they can. And there's plenty of parts I see sometimes it's like, hey, we could injection mold this or CNC machine this. Um, cheaper and faster. You know, you don't necessarily need to do 3D printing to do this part. But where we see 3D printing is a lot of, you know, once again, that assembly reduction and weight reduction, you know, for aerospace industry in particular is, is where it's really, really has, a, brings a lot of value to those industries. Do you have some other tips that an engineer could uh, take advantage of when it comes to yeah. designing either for 3D printing or maybe even injection molding and machining? Yeah, when designing for 3D printing, something that I think of is the, the design process mimics the manufacturing process in a lot of ways. And so, you know, for example, if you're designing for CNC machining, it, it reminds me of when I first learned how to use SOLIDWORKS or other CAD programs. It's almost like you start with a block and you start, cut, you start whittling away at it to form parts. And, and that's a great way to design CNC machining. And a lot of times when you're designing injection molding, you almost start with like the midline of the part or the cross section of the part, and then you extrude it out from either side and add draft, you know, it's just visualizing like a waffle essentially in the design. And, and so with 3D printing, you know, you want the design process to sort of mimic the manufacturing process. So a lot of what you can do is just drop the, the critical features in space, just unattached, and then kind of visualize, okay, what's going to be our best approach for the build direction and then decide upon a build direction and kind of commit at that point and then start start tying them together with material and building it up that way. And it's good to kind of visualize the print as like an animation. So, uh, or like a flip book, you know, I think is a good analogy. So, you know, imagine like you're printing a cone and you'd have a flip book, you'd, you'd flip through and ha have a consecutively smaller circles. And it's like, you just remove the paper, you're left with that cone. And so when you're designing for 3D printing, you want to kind of visualize it like a flip book and you know and, and go through it and then think of how clean and clean is that animation right are, are things kind of blinking in and out all all sporadically or things jumping from one end to the paper to the other it, that that tells you that's a it's poorly designed for 3d printing you want it to transition very organically from layer to layer and be very smooth as the part uh prints up and layer and features kind of step in one at a time and the less you have of things kind of blinking in out of nowhere unless you have of things kind of drastically changing in shape and size layer to layer, that's ultimately going to be a better 3D printed part. Are you a, a fan or, or do you think it's important to prototype a 3D printed part first before you start working with like figuring out how you're going to mass produce these? Everything you interact with day to day, you know, and because and I see it in my role, from these glasses to the door handle in your car to your toothbrush, uh, I can virtually guarantee 3D printing was used in the prototyping process of it and, you know, where we are in the industry. So, I mean, it's just, just literally everything, shampoo bottles, 
you know, furniture even, uh, 3D printing is used uh, in those early development processes before you move up to manufacturing. And I think a lot of the question now is, when do we use 3D printing for low volume production? And that has been trending up over time as the, as the materials improved and the, the technologies got faster. But it's still, you know, 3D printing is still in that low volume, high mix space where it's a, you know, you need a, a, a wide mix of different parts at low volumes. And so, you know, we're starting to see, and then also the finish is improving on 3D printing. So we're starting to see a little bit more of 3D printing being used in like those like very first products that are ending up in people's hands. Like you may have like a electronic device, like a VR headset, uh, for example. And you want to make it on the scale of a few hundred of these to kind of get out into the hands of people and say, hey, what do you think of this product? Um, you know, before we start investing in the molding of that, you know, and, and it looks and feels just like a, a molded part, essentially. So you can get it out into the hands of people and get their feedback, you know, before investing and in, in taking that product to the next step. Now, that brings up an interesting point about if you're designing a part that, you know, eventually is going to be CNC machined or even injection molded, then 3D, using 3D printing to prototype it, you kind of have to hold back in what you can do with 3D printing, because lots of times you can't machine or injection mold what you can 3D print. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want to have some sight lines further out of what will be your eventual production levels of this part. I think a good rule of thumb to go by would be like say 500 copies a year of your product. If you're looking at like 500 copies a year of something and it's plastic, you really want to look at injection molding and try and find a way to injection mold that part. I think many people have this concept that you're looking at tens of thousands of parts a year, you know, for injection molding to be, be cost effective. And, and really that bar is much lower um, than that. If you're leveraging like a, an aluminum tooling for invest for injection molding, you know, I've seen uh, injection molding be, be more cost effective as low as eight parts for a part. And so, yeah, you definitely want to, design for the, the the molding method or I'm sorry the manufacturing method you'd be using tomorrow not necessarily the one using today. Are engineers today given all the education and the technology software that they have are they fairly conversant with all the different styles of manufacturing or are there gaps still? Yeah that that's something that's changed over time as well. Um, you know something I've seen from more experienced engineers is they're much more familiar with injection molding and CNC and they trend towards designing for those technologies and then the newer engineers are designing for 3D printing and are really only going into injection molding and CNC if they have to and the best thing to do is just to be technology agnostic to to, to use all the tools in your toolkit I mean, you can certainly have your specialties. Uh, you know, I, I certainly do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely deeper in 3D printing than I am any other manufacturing process, but I'm not biased to using it at all. You know, if, uh, if it's a simple part, uh, simple geometry, and I need, need 500 of them, I'm going to be designing it for injection molding if I can to, to drive at, at the cheaper price. So, you know, a lot of it comes out of material quantity and complexity. Those are your kind of your three features of a part that kind of drive what manufacturing process is going to be be best for that part. So I could have the exact same part and I need one of them. I'm going to be 3D printing it. That exact same part I need a thousand of. I'm going to be injection molding it at that quantity range. So it, it really takes all three of those factors to decide what manufacturing process is going to be best. 
3D printing a lot of times operates, especially production and use 3D printing operates in that space where the part is going to be more expensive than a conventionally manufactured part, but it brings some value that to the, to the market that wouldn't be otherwise there. So, you know, lightweighting is very big, you know, you're, 3D printing, there's 3D printed metal parts today on hypercars like Bugatti and, and Porsche because they're in that space. They're, they're happy to spend 3X for that component to, to shave a little bit of weight off, you know, but it's also like personal customization, things like that, right? Like I'm willing to pay a little extra for some custom braces made for my teeth versus some generic ABC that may not be as comfortable or may not fit. So that's that in production, that's generally the space that 3D printing operates is like that, that pay to play where it's a high value component. Any other tips that we haven't addressed or or looked into anything else that you want to highlight that you see a lot as far as either making a design too complex or making it not engineered enough? Yeah, I think we largely talked about it to a degree. You know, like I said, I would, I would say don't try not to pigeonhole yourself into a particular manufacturing method. Be open, you know, be open to even using a manufacturing process you may not be familiar with and, and educate yourself on it. There's always room to grow there, even for me. And, you know, once again, we talked about it, you know, think longer term, don't design yourself into a corner, you know, have a, have a sight line of, like, you know, you obviously believe in your product, you believe in being successful with it. You know, do you think you're going to be making a million of these in five years? If so, you know, have a plan to get there. Um, and, and the manufacturing method, that's going to enable you to get that drive towards that. Well, that brings up a, another question. Everybody is pushing to design things as fast as possible. Is, is iteration in the the evolvement of the design, is that something that an engineer should focus on? Like, okay, you know, you're going to be making improvements six months down the road. Maybe you can consider a different manufacturing technology for the next six months or something like that. Yeah. And that's something that's really changed in the last 10 years or so that I've seen too, is, uh, you know, we consider ourselves a digital manufacturer and, and, you know, we use 3D printing and injection molding CNC and, and these other manufacturing processes. But what that term really means is like that that jump from 3d cad to manufacturing is highly automated and so you're able to tweak that design and very quickly jump to manufacturing for that and it's a call and response between us and and the industries so there's competitive pressure on everybody from cars to medical devices to consumer products to come out with that new iteration every time right so it's like you had the the phone three, the phone four, and now you got the phone three A and then the the four and now the four A. And that mindset is trickling out everywhere now where, you know, you come out with the model and then there's that model refresh. So there's this half step now in between the product and the next one. And it was something where 15, 20 years ago, you could get by the releasing product every say eight to 10 years. And then nowadays it's like five to six and in another 10 years, it, it's going to, the expectation is to be coming out with a new model every two years or, or, and then, you know, far in the future, it may be very dynamic where, you know, they release a product you see, and the, it's coming from software too. You see it with software, you release a product, it gets out there, 
people don't like it, there's a patch that comes the next month or even the next week after launch addressing the things that people don't like. And that mindset is trickling down into, into the physical things now. And, and that's where uh, 3D printing is, is very strong there, right? You can update the design, but the, the things are impacting molding and things like that. Like we can, we can change them. You can have a mold and we can cut a new mold within a day with our manufacturing processes. And, and you can jump from one manufacturing process to another as long as the, the part design uh, uh, allows for it. As, uh, as the quantities go up, or if something changes, like the material changes or, or, the, or the demand changes, you're going to have to change that design potentially for a new manufacturing process and do that potentially very quickly, you know, if your demand um, uh, jumps up very quickly. It's a good thing everybody's going digital because you're going to be keeping designs on the, on the cloud for a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Any final advice? Um, nothing I can think of. I mean, I think we largely covered what I can I can think of. All righty. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for your time, Eric. I appreciate it. All right. No problem. I'll see you.